I'm here with Catherine Todero, Dean of Creighton University's College of Nursing. The Bureau of Labor projects that nursing will be the highest growing profession over the next decade. How is the university preparing to meet this demand? Creighton has done a number of things. One, we've increased our number of traditional nursing students, but we also offer accelerated education on three campuses in Omaha, Hastings Campus in central Nebraska, and our brand new campus, which is in Phoenix, Arizona. Learn more about all of the university's academic programs at Creighton.edu. Welcome to Creating a Family, talk about foster care and adoption. Today we're going to be talking about unexpected stresses of newly adoptive families, a subject uh, many of us have experienced, or at least the uh, unexpected stress part of the subject many of us have experienced. Here's a sample of what you're going to hear. One of the things that I advise families to do when a new one is coming, a new little one is coming home to them, is to make a list of all the jobs that you wish um, magically would get done, and then when family members or friends say, what can we do to help? Don't pass the baby to them. Rather, use that time to lie down, gaze in each other's eyes, relax and learn to know each other, and let your family and friends who are offering to help um, do something on the list. This show is brought to you by Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Foster Care Education and Support Nonprofit. I'm Dawn Davenport. I'm the host and the director of Creating a Family. And you can find us and all of our resources online at creatingafamily.org. Hey, listen up all adoption agencies. Our partner, Jockey Bean Family, who is the underwriter of this show, is looking for adoption agencies that want to provide continued support to their families after adoption. The Jockey Bean Family Backpack Program provides newly adopted kiddos with their own backpack, customized with their initials and filled with Jockey Bean Family bear and a blanket, as well as parenting resources for their parents. So let your agency know about this wonderful, let me stress the word, free resource. Uh, they can sign up at the jockeybeingfamily.com website. This show, as well as all the resources at Creating a Family, is possible only through the generous support of the organizations who believe in our mission of providing unbiased, medically accurate information and are accurate, not really medically, or sometimes medically and psychologically accurate uh, to pre- and post-adoptive families. Some of our, these wonderful organizations include Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They offer home study-only services as well as full-service infant adoption, international, and foster-to-adopt programs. You can find them online at their website, vistadelmar.org. Today, we're going to be talking about unexpected stresses of newly adoptive families. We'll be talking with Jennifer McCallum. She is the lead post-adoption counselor at Buckner Children and Family Services and Dr. Lark Eshelman. She is a consultant and educators, educator whose experience is working with children and families who have experienced early emotional trauma, which, let's face it, is, is many of the children that we work with. Um, this is a topic uh, of unexpected stresses that I think is important for all adoptive families. Uh, so often we only think about it in terms of um, when we adopt uh, older children, but in fact... Um, there, is, there are stresses for uh, domestic infant adoption as well. And, you know, some of these are just general new parent stresses. And we also have adoption-specific stresses, and that's more what we're going to be focusing on. Um, and, and when we, have the, we talk about the adoption-specific stresses, we're going to be talking about it in a different context, depending on whether you adopt a baby, a toddler, or an older child. So let's start with uh, domestic infant adoption, when you're adopting a baby. Laura, can you talk to us about just some of the typical stresses that adoptive families may feel uh, when they, uh, they've brought their brand-new, beautiful, absolutely perfect baby home? Uh, what are some of the stresses that they don't expect that they, they may well feel? 
Yes, I would love to speak to that topic because it comes up so often when I'm working with families that they express um, a kind of shock that they didn't expect that they would feel so inept. Um, So many families say to me, gosh, uh, we were so excited that we forgot that um, we might not know what we're doing (laughs) or um, we might not think we know what we're doing. And so one of the big messages, a take-home message is, your baby's more scared than you are, and so you need to be confident and you need to share with your little one that everything's going to be fine, you'll get to know them, they will get to know you, and over time things will be very comfortable. Uh, But it takes a little while and a lot of confidence. And I think that every, uh, particularly with your first child, I think every new parent feels that to some degree. Um, yes. And I get ready, getting ready to leave the hospital with our first, my husband and I looked at each other and said, they should not be sending us home with this child. This is a mistake. <laughs> we I think we've all confident. felt that way, Don. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that to a certain extent that is, that is, that is normal. But we hear parents say that they – they feel that they're almost like they're babysitting somebody else's child, and they worry that that's a sign that that they there's something fundamentally wrong. Is that feeling, Jennifer, of being a babysitter? Is that an uncommon thing for parents to report? Not, not at all. And and you know, adoptive parents need that extra time to bond with an with an adopted child, and. Um, just like what we were talking about, I think it's it's important to recognize that those thoughts are common and normal, and sometimes they they feel intrusive, and we're thinking, you know, maybe I wasn't cut out for parenting, or, yeah. or um, you know, should we have adopted after all? And those it's but it's hard to it, it's important, I should say, to recognize just how hard parenting is and how common and normal some of those thoughts and feelings are. Jennifer, how long should people, uh, if not every, and let's be honest, not everybody has this feeling, but uh, if you are experiencing that feeling of, I just, I mean, I don't even feel like a parent here. I feel like this is somebody mm-hmm. else's child. How long should that, should you give that feeling before you should worry? Because you've just said it's a fairly common thing, and in the vast majority of cases, it passes. So, mm-hmm. what are, how long should people wait? How how long to experience before you worry? Right. I, I think I think it's always um important to ask for, for support and help. Um you know, to be successful as soon as as, as you need that help, I think I would ask. I, I don't know that, you know, I I you would wait. Um I think there's just you know, there's a a lot of, of challenges in parenting and um and you don't have to go, you know, go through that alone. I think it's important to to connect with um, just other adoptive parents who are experiencing similar feelings and challenges, and just really build up that that support network. And definitely, uh, you know, ask for help, even if it even if it feels like, well, it's only been a week, <laughs> and I'm still having these feelings. Yeah, I mean, it's it's okay to reach out and ask for help, and it's it's important. And I think it also depends a bit on the depth of the feeling, just a feeling that that this all feels alien and you don't feel. Mm-hmm. I, I think we have this idea of almost a, a mystical experience of motherhood, that the minute a baby is placed in our arms, we are going to swoon with delight and feel this unbelievable feeling of pure uh, love. And and yes. while that does happen, it very often doesn't, regardless of whether the children enter our family through birth or adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, and sitting with that and just giving yourself permission to feel what you feel um, and and know that, that uh, some people fall in love and some people grow in love. And that's mm-hmm. just uh, maybe how we're hardwired. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Any thoughts on that, uh, Lark, as far as... Uh, acceptance and giving ourselves grace to not feel this overwhelming feeling of this child of, of love towards this child. I think the way you express that, Dawn, about some of us fall in love and some of us grow in love, is 
is perfect. It's so true. And we have to, in order to grow in love, we have to nurture ourselves and our experience and also give ourselves time, which I know, Jennifer, you mentioned before. It does take time. But, you know, not just time, but also time, relaxed time and comfortable time. And so one of the things that I advise families to do when a new one is coming, a new little one is coming home to them, is to make a list of all the jobs that you wish um, magically would get done. And then when family members or friends say, what can we do to help, don't pass the baby to them. Rather, use that time to lie down, gaze in each other's eyes, relax and learn to know each other, and let your family and friends who are offering to help um, do something on the list that you've put up on the refrigerator. They can do the laundry or uh, maybe go shopping for you or something. So you have time, just relaxed, beautiful, interactive bonding time with your new little one. It takes that kind of time in order for the, the feelings to grow and to become defined. A great idea to pass the list around versus the child. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and what compounds all this is the typical lack of sleep with a newborn, and yep. that is, you know, and we we know the importance of sleep um, yep. just for general health, but the importance of sleep for emotional health is is also huge. So any thoughts, Lark, on how uh, any – there are uh, – there are no, there is no magic cure for getting sleep with a newborn, but one of yeah. the advantages with adoption is that the mom is not alone in the feeding, unless she's trying to induce lactation. Um, mm-hmm. But if she's not doing that, that does give us some opportunity to uh, to share the midnight feeding. So anyway, Lark, thoughts on on what new parents can do to try to maximize sleep. I'm going to go back to this theme again of allowing other people to do the things uh, in life for you so you can do the baby interaction things. And for me, that would mean, and I did this with my own kids too, is when they nap, try and lie down with them. Um, It's a beautiful bonding experience to sleep with your kids, even in a nap, just a short time to lie down when they do, um, and to be close to them, maybe not in the same bed depending on how you feel about uh, co-sleeping, but um, at least close to them so that you rest and they rest. Highly recommend it. And what your pediatrician recommends as to co-sleeping as yes, well. Yes, Make absolutely. sure you talk with them. And, and yep. let me add to that that something that I would uh, strongly suggest is switching off the middle-of-the-night uh, feedings. Yes, if you are mm-hmm. staying at home and your partner is not, sometimes you feel like I've got to be the one that gets up. But every other night, allowing your partner to handle the middle of the night and you figure out where to sleep that you can get or or how to do the sleeping arrangements so you are not awakened when your partner uh, gets up to, to tend to the baby so that you mm-hmm. can get. If, and every other night, if you're getting a decent night's sleep, you will be amazed. Uh, at what it does for your um, emotional outlook, uh, as well as just general crabbiness. So, yeah, so sleep. <laughs> Which would uh, not be true for any of us, of course. But <laughs> Right, exactly. Ourselves our excluded. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> the, um, you know, uh, one thing that I, I wanted to raise, and it's, a, it's an interesting point now because I'm seeing it come up very often, uh, creating a family has a really large online uh, support group, and uh, and th- this topic of, of or some variation on this topic comes up not infrequently, and that's the idea of cocooning. Um, and in a way, I've, I feel a little bit of guilt to be honest, because I think we were certainly a a early promoter of the we being creating a family was an early promoter of the of the idea of cocooning, but I honestly. I feel like it's gotten out of hand. I, we have people who would not even, you know, would not even have grandparents touch the child. Won't even have grandparents come over. And this is for a newborn. We're not talking an older child. We'll talk about cocooning and its impacts with older children later uh, in this interview. But uh, Jennifer, thoughts on that? Am I alone to think that we've taken this? Some people not uh, have taken it so far that it's okay to share. Not all. You should still be the primary caretaker of your child, as Lark was saying, 
but that it's okay to allow others to help out if you want a nap and, and grandma wants to snuggle with the baby. There's not permanent harm, or that's my thoughts. What are yours, Jennifer? Uh, no, I, I I completely agree. I think um, not only just because that self-care component is so incredibly important and you want to be able to, to kind of simplify your life and your schedule, especially in those um, you know early weeks and and moments um but i i think it's it's important um you know for that attachment with other you know family as well i definitely think it's wonderful to let you know grandma or grandpa um just read a book with that with that precious baby or rock and hold them and snuggle and um yeah i don't think that's that's damaging um or taking anything away from from the attachment with with mom and dad yeah i i what i say is yes you want to draw your circle and 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 kind of simplify and draw your circle but don't yeah. exclude the people who in your family that you want to have a tight relationship with that child and and enough if your parents drive you nuts well then you know use this as an excuse it's okay <laughs> that may be a different yeah. yeah yeah and i agree yeah. i mean i think it's important to to sort of you know maybe limit outsiders in the in the short term and i think that that's a great opportunity then um especially for people who maybe don't understand the complexity of adoption it's a it's a great opportunity to sort of set set some limits um but but i i definitely you know, think it's great to, to share that baby with with the people who who love them. Yeah. And if it's okay for me to jump in here too, yeah, I want to add absolutely, Lord. Uh, some of Bruce Perry's work, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and his concept of sensory bath. Something that's important to remember is that this little baby had been bathed in the um, the hormones and the uh, breath of another woman's body for a long time and so the transfer may be and is not always but may be traumatic for the infant or young child Um, so one of the things that's important during this period when you're getting to know each other and you're drawing your circle around who are going to be your most intimate family members with this um, with this child or this infant is that you want to surround this baby with your sensory bath you want to keep yeah. things calm and quiet and then just bathe this baby in the most gentle calming um of you of yourself and that's one of the reasons that we talk about limiting the number not excluding other people but mm-hmm. limiting and keeping things calm uh and supportive for the infant to learn a new environment um total environment the sound of your voice um your breath on his or her face. Those are very intimate moments that help a baby bond and then eventually attach. And so you want to maximize those while minimizing too much intrusion of um, other sensory input or too many people that the baby doesn't know. In other words, every baby and every infant and every situation is different, but um, in response to what your baby needs, keep things as calm and um, interactive with you as a parent as you can. Uh, Lark, can you give yeah. us some practical examples of how to create the sensory bath for a, uh, I love the term sensory bath. I know. Um, for, uh, it is a beautiful term. Um, just some yeah. practical things uh, that sure. uh, parents have done. Yeah. Yes, um and some of these are going to sound really goofy to some of you who are listening. <laughs> I understand that. I really truly get that. Uh but as you learn and your baby learns you as you learn each other, something that's very simple to do and it really is actually a time saver, so I love this is taking a shower together. In the morning instead of you getting mm-hmm. a shower quickly early so that you'll be on time to wake the baby and get them dressed for childcare or whatever. Take your bath together, your shower together, and that's a good example. Another would be as you're feeding the baby, not with a bottle, this would be when they're in, um, when they have a spoon, is to alternate feeding. I know that sounds kind of gross, but, you know, spoon feed the baby and then feed yourself with the same spoon. It's what that's going to do is transfer the smell, the taste of each other to each other. Doesn't that sound kind of weird, but... 
it um it's it shown itself to be a very um positive way to induce uh, a bond a natural bond um one other quick one i'll tell you is that especially if babies have difficulty sleeping they're in a new environment um put your t-shirt from the day before you wash it so it still smells like you put it over the baby's pillow so that during the night the baby gets to smell you uh, while he or she is sleeping. And it can be very comforting, especially for babies who have difficulty getting in a sleep routine. It can really be a helpful thing. So those are a couple examples. Um, I wrote a few more in my book, which now is has been out for quite a while, but most of these things are still very much the same. Yeah, and they, doctors for newborns will most likely recommend not having pillows, but you can take the T-shirt yes. and rub it over the crib cover, you know, the, the mattress. Absolutely. And, and transfer. And the, the last one I would throw in on that would be baby wearing. Um, you know, putting a baby in a, uh, a front pack where they are yes. held close to you and just absolutely. do your daily activities. Thank you, Dawn. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So that's, that's a biggie. Uh, yeah. And um, and and actually, and, and it's also makes life easier for you as well. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, so take mm-hmm. them out of the plastic <laughs> little uh, uh, and put them in, in a front pack and yeah. and do your business that way throughout the day. Yeah. Um, right. I think that another uh, thing that is helpful you had, uh, uh, Lark, you had mentioned make a list of all the jobs, and that is a great idea. But also before the baby comes. Um, make a list of things that recharge you, things that are important to you for your emotional health or make you just feel like you. Uh, and, uh, and and then work with your, if you have a partner, um, and if you don't have a partner, whoever is, is, is uh, work with yourself and whoever is helping you, um, to figure out ways to get some of those activities or things back into your life, and that's a good place for if you are fortunate to have grandparents. Let's say, for instance, that taking a run is really just important to you, or that may sound too noble. What about uh, getting to the coffee shop uh, and just having um, an hour to read a book? Uh, That's probably more realistic. Uh, So uh, whether you're noble or not, uh, get uh, ask, make, utilize your help for times that uh, that to, uh, to to allow you time to do the things that recharge you, and chances are good that doing the laundry is not something that will ever recharge you. So, <laughs> you know, pass that on, and uh, make certain that the a few of the events that may not happen as often as it happened before probably it won't. That's part of adjusting to life with a new child. But uh, do your best to uh, create a chance for you to continue some. Uh, of those events, and you may have to be um, flexible. Let's be honest. Uh, it's right, and Jennifer, if you don't mind me, I know it, you probably have really good thoughts about this too. But if you don't mind me jumping in, we have um, two new moms in our neighborhood, and the um, moms both asked together uh, during a baby shower for a twins stroller. And what happens is one mom pushes both the kids in a twins stroller while the other one runs. And then the next day they switch off, and oh, I think, smart. Well, I know what a great idea. Um, uh-huh. The babies don't mind who's pushing them, and uh, the moms get to have alone time for their runs. Um, it's it's just an example of I think a beautiful way of uh, you know joining forces. Yeah, working and together, working together, but also identifying that you know what this is important to me. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's going to help me feel like me uh, sooner. Yeah. Um, yep. Jennifer, we know that the majority of people come to domestic infant adoption after having struggled through infertility. Um, yes. And I think that we often downplay the impact of that struggle on this transition into parenthood. Um, let's talk a little about that. How have uh, how can infertility impact this this adjustment to new parenthood? Well, in many ways, and I think um, definitely for successful attachment, it's really important um, for adoptive families to kind of grieve some of those unresolved losses. Um, like you said, often it's um, uh, infertility or children um, that they've lost through miscarriage. Um, 
but I, I, I think I think for there to be just a wholehearted parenting, those losses really have to be have to be grieved. Um, but not only um, those losses, I think just unresolved issues that you know you maybe you have about your own childhood. Um, I, I really think it's important to just to explore those before you before you begin parenting yourself. Mm-hmm. Ideally, before the child comes. Um, yes. About that doesn't always. Yeah, your 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 own childhood experiences really af- affect how you're oh. you're going to parent. Sorry, well, go absolutely. ahead, Lark. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. You are you are so correct on that, and your struggles through infertility um, also uh, impact your feeling of your feeling of of worthiness, your feeling of of of, of yourself as a female is often impacted. And also the loss of that genetic connection. Um, We don't want to admit that that could be something that is a loss, but for some people it absolutely is. Uh, and acknowledging that is important. Um, I'm sorry, Lark, I started to turn to you and then, and then turned away. So, yes, talk to us some about what you have no seen problem. about something that I would add. Childhood. Yeah, right. So here's something to add to that, Don. and I know this is a very sad topic, and, and there are numbers of your listeners who will identify with this immediately, but numbers of families come to adoption after um, multiple miscarriages. Mm-hmm. And... I'm not sure that we as a culture are very good at grieving and understanding the long-term effect of losing an infant um, during that critical time uh, before before they're born. So I think it's important for those of us who work with families to help them understand that it's terribly sad. It is um, worthy of incredible grief to acknowledge and to go through the process of allowing yourself the sadness um, and the loss mm-hmm. uh, of losing infants before they're born. It's another thing that we just kind of gloss over and we let parents, you know, we think, well, now you have a baby, so you're okay. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. yes, I now I have a baby and I'm very happy, but I also am very sad this baby is not a replacement for the baby or babies that I've lost. And once families have the support to go through the grieving process, I think we're much better at um, accepting a new infant into our lives, our hearts, and our families. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Adoption is not a cure for infertility mm-hmm. there are uh, there's a it is a cure for parentlessness i mean it, it does uh, you can now parent but there are so many losses and, and what i would like for anyone listening to this today to know is that if you are struggling this does not mean that you will be a bad parent it doesn't mean that you didn't that you shouldn't have adopted it doesn't mean that you are not mm-hmm. going to be a great adoptive parent what it does mean is that you need to see someone to help you resolve, uh, and, and not that you ever completely resolve some of the losses, but come to terms with the losses associated with your inability to conceive or carry a child to term, whether it be through primary infertility or whether through miscarriage or stillbirth. So there are definitely counselors who can help you, and uh, there's no shame here in this, uh, nor is it a sense of uh, no. that you have failed. This is a... Uh, there are so many losses, and it's so sad. And as Lark said, we simply don't acknowledge it well in our society. Um, well put, Don, and thank you for that. Uh, Jennifer, something that we're seeing more uh, perhaps now, but it's always been there, is uh, some of the stresses that come with parenting a baby with neonatal abstinence syndrome or uh, even if not full-blown NAS, uh, just prenatal exposure. Um, can you talk some about that and how how that stress can can interfere with uh, 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 parents uh, feeling totally in control uh, the first couple of months home with their new baby? Yeah, it, it it that raises a lot of a lot of challenges and and wanting wanting to feel um, like you're adapting as as that parent and that that new baby is is adapting into your home too. Um, I I I continue to kind of go back to just connecting, you know, with others who who are experiencing the same challenges. I think um there can be 
just a lot of a lot of healing and knowing that you're not the only one um that's you know that's going through this and experiencing that um if you're fortunate, I, you will have an in-person support group, although those are fairly rare. Yeah, so, yeah, but I, but I would say absolutely consider, um, I have seen the true beauty of online support. Uh, and yeah. in some ways, it's preferable because it can be whenever you have time. And it's 24-7 because um, we will see people posting when they're up in the middle of the night with their baby. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't yeah. recommend that, but they, they are posting then, and somebody else will come back and say, yeah, I'm not sleeping either, and yes, I've felt that, and uh, it's, uh, or have you tried this? Uh, so, yeah, so don't, right. uh, online support, uh, there's a number of them out there, including the Creating a Family Online Support Group, which is a closed Facebook group. Um, yeah, Lark, thoughts on the uh, uh uh, anything additional with, uh, let me, before I, I turn to you, let me also say that Creating a Family has a course specifically on this. Uh, it's uh, surviving the first six months with an opiate-exposed baby. Uh, most, most, much of the information would apply to all forms of, of neonatal, neonatal abstinence syndrome, regardless if it's opiates, but uh, mm-hmm. I highly recommend that course. Any thoughts, Lark, on um, uh, what to do uh, with a baby who has had prenatal exposures? Well, yes, in terms of working in neonatal um, units in hospitals, I would say that we tend to forget that as the infant gets a little bit older that they that they still need lots of rocking and lots of holding. And that seems to be one of the biggest um, positive impacts that we can make on children's neurologic system uh, when they have had this exposure. So. I've had parents say to me, my arms are going to fall off because I just can't hold and rock them anymore, and I surely get that, definitely understand it. But there's an example of when grandparents or um, one one family converted their garage into a um, a rocking room, and um, certain designated, vetted neighbors, loved neighbors, would come in and help rock when Mm -hmm. um, mom or dad were just too tired to do it. So I, I can, first of all, I do want to, to say also, Dawn, that I think your group and your site and your courses are excellent and exemplary. And here's one of the examples of something that parents don't know what to expect. Uh, mm-hmm. Even with some courses, they need just what you're talking about, online support, other people who have been there, people who will give them examples of, of things that have worked for them, what to mm-hmm. try. Uh, so my advice is, Find resources like yours, use them, and don't get discouraged because every infant and their exposure is unique. And so the combination of what they need is going to be uh, unique also. That's such a good point. Go back to the basics. This baby had um, insult and trauma in utero. Now we need to help them on the outside by going back to what would have been healing or nurturing to that infant in utero mm-hmm. and help them repair the damage. Exactly. Um, and the last stress I want to bring up with uh, domestic infant adoption is one that I think a lot of people don't think about, and that is the stresses w- with open adoption. And, Jennifer, I'm going to ask you mm-hmm. to, to, to talk about that. What are some of the unexpected things? I mean, we talk to families about open adoption ahead of time, but sometimes, you know, what we think is going to happen and the reality of how it's happening and how we feel about how it's happening are often not the same. So talk to us a bit about how open adoption can kind of play with our minds in those beginning months. Yeah, for sure. I think establishing, you know, that relationship with the birth parent in, in an open adoption can be um, complex. And often, you know, it it is such an exciting time. Um, other other family, other friends, everybody uh, wants to know about about the child and all about their story. And I think something that um, is just is really important and valuable is is remembering that parents are kind of for now, while that child is is young, are really the holders of um, the information for that child. And I think not sharing. Um, 
too much about the child's story and, and sensitive information really until they're old enough to know how, you know, to talk about adoption themselves is really, really important um, to remember. Um, but also just, you know, like I said, establishing that relationship with the birth parent um, and and sharing their story in, in a respectful way, too, is also going to be really, really important. Yeah, I, I, I concur wholeheartedly. Um, I also think that sometimes we underestimate the feeling of, of that after the baby is with us, we feel threatened uh, sometimes mm-hmm. by the presence mm-hmm. of the birth mom or thinking that the birth mom should be moving on. You know, why is, why is she still wanting information? You know, I mean, yeah, I said I was going to, you know, but honestly I thought we would be doing this, you know, once a month, and all of a sudden now I'm, I'm, she's, it's like she's wanting information all the time. And, um, yeah. and, and it, that's confusing, and, and you feel bad about yourself for thinking it. You're fearful that is she, am I ever going to feel like the mom? Does she still feel like the mom? Um, Lark, talk to us a little about some of this confusion um, that, uh, that moms might feel. Well, uh, first let me say that, yes, moms definitely may go through this. Parents may definitely go through this. But um, one thing to keep remembering is that the baby's also going through this. So there's been an immediate separation from birth parent, and then there's a reintroduction, and then there's abandonment again, and then there's reintroduction. And so the baby is going to be experiencing some of this. If we keep our eye on being attuned to what our um, our little one needs, that helps us to be strong in our resolve to either continue with the visits or talk about maybe for the baby's sake to taper them off for a while. But I don't want to go down that road too much. It's mm-hmm. uh, In terms of stresses on the mom, sure, that insecurity of, gosh, why does the baby look so comfortable in birth mom's arms and yet cries for me a lot? Um, mm-hmm. Don't second-guess yourself. Your mm-hmm. mom, you are mom, and you need to be the rock for that baby. So you're doing all the right stuff. Keep reminding yourself, ask for support and the nurture that you need from others to remind yourself that you are this baby's mother and you are going to do uh, what is best for this baby, and you're doing it. So it's, yeah. uh, stresses come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and if it's <laughs> from birth mom or birth family, it's kind of hard to draw that line and to keep reminding yourself, yeah, I'm mom or dad, mm-hmm. you know, I'm this mm-hmm. parent. Mm-hmm. And, and extend grace to the birth family as well, because this Absolutely. is all new to them as well. And this is all a period of adjustment for for all of you. And and this is not something Absolutely. that many people have much. And you and, and Lark was well uh, well pointed out for the baby as well. But this is mm-hmm. not something that there's a a, a a blueprint for exactly how to no. follow. Uh, so. Extend grace to everyone, including yourself, uh, but also some flexibility uh, that yeah. uh, you need to. Yes, this the, the birth mom is is struggling. How can I meet her needs for information if if, for the, if, if this is the situation? At the same time that I'm meeting my uh, my needs and the baby's needs, and there's usually a way through that. And I would suggest that there are a uh, again we have a lot of courses on this. And I will, uh, so you can check those out. But also, this is another great example of of joining a support group and and share. And you're not going to be the first person who has, is feeling threatened, or is feeling uh, angry, or is even feeling intense sadness uh, for this person and what they're going through. And that certainly was an unexpected feeling. So you're not the yeah. first who's experienced it. So reach out for support. Um, you know what, yeah. Dawn, maybe I could just jump in with one other thought here. Yeah. That I've Please. worked with some families that were not anticipating um, the intensity of requests, which you referred to by birth family for information. And one way that they addressed it was by setting up an online site uh, for just the two families to be able to go in and see so that the um, new family could – Forever family could post every day. This is what's happening. Here's a picture. Here's what's going on. They wanted to, yeah, they wanted to keep those pictures for themselves and a record of how baby was doing. 
And this way they were then able to open it up to birth family without there being mm-hmm. a constant request for daily visits or phone calls um, or, you know, what might feel like intrusion on a regular basis. So everybody felt a little better in this particular case when they when they got that joint um, site up and started using mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. A great example of flexibility. Go ahead, Jennifer. Yeah. Well, and I was just going to say that's, I mean, we know this and research shows that it is always best for the child when there, you know, is an integration of the biological family. And I think that that's a wonderful example of how how to be able to honor the birth family, but still kind of create some boundaries um, for your for your own family, which which is important. Yeah, Yeah, both are important. And the only, uh, before we move on to talking about older child, the only thing I would additionally add to that is um, that you do have an obligation to honor, though, the agreements that you've made before on the degree of openness. So um, yes. if, if you have committed to something, then you need to honor that, uh, unless you find it's truly, and, and generally you are not agreeing to something that's really going to be truly too onerous. So check your your insecurity and make sure that's not what's at play here. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, um, but being creative on other ways to meet everybody's needs is is just plain smart, and the online idea is is, a, is an excellent one. All right, I want to move us to talking about some of the unexpected stresses when you adopt a toddler or an older child through either foster care or international adoption. Now, some of these same stresses that we talked about with infants are certainly going to apply. Lack of sleep, um, the idea of feeling like a babysitter is a big one, particularly with older children, sometimes even more toddlers. So there's there's definitely overlap. In, but, but there are some um, unique stresses, I think, that, that happen with families who are adopting uh, through foster care internationally, either a toddler or a school-aged child or even a tween or a teen. Jennifer, what are some of the typical stresses that you see these type of families experience in their, when they first mm-hmm. come home? Yeah, I, I think sometimes there can often be um, trouble in, in school, um, which can show up in different you know ways, whether that's just some um, classroom behavior problems. Um, they may be you know behind. Um, and so, so some of those kind of crop up. Um, sometimes there can be um, new health issues that that start that that you didn't you know know about, or or um, other you know background issues, which then can kind of maybe trigger some some fear on the part of the parents, and um, mm-hmm. to be able to sh- to be sure that they're you know accessing the care that their child is going to need. Um, I'm go, let me stop you a second, and I want to come back sure. to the school issues because that is such an important one, and it's one that yeah. uh, it's an inter- it, it, it actually strikes fear in a lot of adoptive parents because they can extrapolate yeah. and start, I call it spinning, where you're spinning a little out of control. Oh, my God, this child is, you know, in sixth grade and is reading on a second grade level. This kid's never going right. to graduate high school. This kid is never going to get a job. This kid is never going to be living in my basement forever. You know, this type of, <laughs> uh-huh. of spinning, and, uh, talking about a friend, not, not that I ever personally did this, but <laughs> I am well uh-huh. acquainted with spinning. Um, the, um, and I think that school, school issues, we often – underestimate uh, uh, how much they can scare us uh, and also what power school can have. Uh, Thoughts on, I mean, I have my own opinion about uh, what, uh, how much uh, uh, to allow school issues to interfere with your house and your attachment and your bonding and and your parenting. But, uh, Lark, let's talk for just a moment about uh, your thoughts on that. Uh, a child who is behind, and when your child is behind, that means there's going to be lots, usually, lots of homework, lots of meetings, lots of, of other than expe- expectations on the parents. Yeah. So um, it didn't come up in the bio, but I actually have been a school principal for 10 years and then um, a school oh, psychologist gracious. in Pennsylvania. And so one of the things that I, I'm very proud of the fact that this this all happened in my life before I went into the field of psychology. 
um, probably I went into the field because I was so curious about some things that I saw happening with kids in school oh, I bet. and family. Yes. Yeah. So um, something that I used to say to parents, and I'm really proud of myself that I didn't understand it all, but I felt intuitively it was important. If there were children who had uh, tough beginnings, early life stressors, two things that I would want to make a point about. One is that they are probably going to be behind in some developmental area of their life because we know that trauma does that. It slows down otherwise normal development in some um, of the domains of your life. One of them may be academics. I used to encourage parents, if your child needs uh, help on the outside, it trumps whatever you're going to be needing to do in school right now. Get that taken care of. Don't worry about missing school for therapy appointments or um, for an extra weekend with or time with grandma and grandpa if that's important to your child. Whatever you need to do, that's going to be very important. Obviously not 100%, but um, you need to take each case individually, but it's really important for kids to get their emotional stuff straightened out. What we found was when that was the case, children caught up very quickly in uh, academics. Um, So really highly stress that. The other thing to remember is that we have to manage our expectations as parents and as schools that every child isn't going to be where parents may want them to be or where schools expect them to be. We love them anyway, we accept them anyway, and we say we're going to work with you where you are and uh, help you to progress. If your child is making progress, that's what's important, not the level of progress. But we like to say in the school psych world, you want to make a year of progress in a year of school. That doesn't always happen. It isn't always the case. So um, we need to be gentle with our young youngsters. They're just little babies still. Even through high school, they're still young. And so we need to be gentle and supportive rather than punitive, and we need to attend to their emotional needs, and the rest will come along. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm going to recommend uh, another course. We have a, a course with Heather Forbes, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and one of the and she's also got some great books. And one of the things that she says is that uh, talking about, I think specifically, and I'm paraphrasing her, and let me let me say that my paraphrase is not as good as her, <laughs> her saying it, but, <laughs> you know, when talking about there's, you know, there's homework, and our children are usually struggling. And she has a real firm opinion that, you know what, homework is not going to trump, uh, it's not going to control our after school. I yep. have got, I want to work with attachment with this child. This child needs some yep. time off. This child needs fun. We need time as a family. And all of that is going to take precedent. So what that yep. means, however, is that you're going to have to stand up oftentimes to your school and say, yeah. and that's hard, and that's stressful. And we're talking about stress. <laughs> that's stressful. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, But it is something worth considering, and I can't recommend enough uh, if this is an issue that you're facing, um, uh, listen to those courses because they will they will give you backbone to uh, stand up and uh, and say yes, school is important, but right now that's not my top priority, and yep. uh, yeah, that's hard. Um, we've also talked about, uh, or we did, haven't talked about what we should talk about. Um, we we hear about the honeymoon period, uh, Jennifer. Not every family experiences this. But it is often for those uh, for those who do do experience it. It's often a rude awakening when all of a sudden they start seeing challenging behaviors, uh, mm-hmm. and that throws another stress, I mean, a huge stress, uh, into into families, not just parents, but also the family dynamics and the whole the whole family. Um, so let's talk a little about some of that the stresses associated from the parents and when their kids start acting out and, and what they can do about it. Yeah, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. There in some cases there is um just and it is a, a new relationship. Um there is that exciting, you know, honeymoon period and then all of a sudden it just kind of feels like it's it's falling apart and and what do we do now? And my child's, you know, screaming in my face that they hate me and um and and you know where do we go? And I think 
I think the the key is if we can go back to um, and really just investigating what is what's that message this child is trying to tell me in their anger because often um, there's uh, fear there can be a lot of other things kind of bubbling up and coming to the surface um, that look like anger on the outside mm-hmm. um, and and really just just figuring out what what can I do to meet the needs of my child right now and and connect with them and and being able to kind of bring bring that that response down a little bit um, uh, yeah we say simplify your life set up predictability you need to set up routines predictability yes. simpl- simplify your life and then reach out for help i promise you are not the only one and people are not going to judge you because of your child's behavior and there is help available uh, go go back to the agency you utilized and i hope to goodness they have somebody that can help you and they're not going to judge you and if they don't uh, have somebody there are reach out to support groups get your child and you into therapy um, mm-hmm. any other suggestions lark for families who are it's struggling they're struggling with um, yeah. behavioral issues and they're struggling with their own fear uh, and, and yeah. quite frankly sometimes their own feelings of regret for having even done this have I ruined my family have I ruined my life uh, all of that so thoughts on, on what we could tell parents at that moment yeah, a couple. One is uh, piggybacking on what you just said, Jennifer, is that um, so often anger comes from fear. And so a child doesn't, and even a teenager, I mean, they're still young. They don't understand their own feelings. Heaven knows most adults don't understand our own feelings <laughs> yeah, exactly. all the time until we really think about it. So they're going to come out with something like, you're not my mom, or I hate you, or, you know, whatever the verbalization is, to you not take it personally. Yeah, yeah, I don't yep. have to do that. Too. You're not my mom. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So to remember that most of that comes from fear helps us, I think, to look behind the behavior, which is what you were saying, Jennifer, and I agree with you tremendously that we need to not take it personally. It's very hard to do that. Mm-hmm. And I also agree with what you're saying, Don, about routines, that I think routines are incredibly important for children mm-hmm. um, and teens. And one of the things that I recommend to families is if you have a routine, for example, in the morning and your your child is giving you a hard time about getting through the routine, try as hard as you can to at least touch each of the pieces in the routine, even if you have to make them shorter. Don't Give skip us an them. example. If you can. Give us an example of that, the morning routine. So if uh, in the morning, one of the things that parents often say, you know, my child has real difficulty getting up and getting moving in the morning. Okay, if you can, set a routine that you're going to lie down with them and read actually to them for five minutes in the morning or sit on the chair next to the bed and read for five minutes in the morning. It helps a lot of kids to wake up. Then you're going to get dressed, and you may use a challenge in that, who's going to get dressed faster or who gets to put on something green today or whatever the challenge is. Um, And then you eat breakfast and then you pick up your bag and get ready for the bus. Now you may feel like, "Uh uh-oh, we don't have time to read this morning because I overslept by a few minutes. Rather than skipping the reading piece, read for two minutes, um, get dressed as quickly as you can, shorten the period to have breakfast by three minutes and now you're back on target and you haven't missed Mm -hmm. any of those pieces of the routine. Mm -hmm. It seems to be that children who have early um, trauma or difficulty in the beginning or come from rough places, whatever terms we're comfortable using these days, they need routine tremendously much more than most of us. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say that. that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say that. That yeah. routine and consistency is really what's going to provide uh, just a sense of security and, and safety. That child knows what to expect. Um, and, yeah. And I would yeah. say that not only do children need the routine, new children and family need the routine, but we yeah. parents are also stressed and coping with a lot that's been all our lives have also been turned uh topsy-turvy and any other children in our family's lives have been turned upside down so um routine gives it's easy to say we're doing it for our kids but let's be perfectly honest 
we yes. all benefit uh, from that. Um, Jennifer, you had talked about something earlier about how uh, our the way we were parented and our own the way we have attached how our parents attached to us and we to our parents is influencing us as we parent. And I think that it, it's probably helpful at this stage when our we're, when we're facing challenging behavior by our children to take mm-hmm. note of of how we are reacting and and how our history is influencing the way we are reacting. Um, it's easy to say don't take it personally, but when you what you really want to do when your kid screams is you scream right back, um, yeah. or pitch the little head off, or walk uh-huh. out of the room and withdraw, um, or spank, or whatever. Um, uh-huh. it, I think uh, talk to us some about how our past and our past pa- how we were parented and our past attachment styles influence how we're responding right now. Yes, I mean, definitely. I think all of our own childhood experiences and and, um, attachment styles really, really affect how we parent. And often we don't even, we don't realize it. We We don't know that. We don't know. Yeah, Mm -hmm. no, not at all. And, and, um, an un, you know an unresolved issue from from our childhood will just kind of crop up at the most unexpected time probably yeah when your child is <laughs> yelling at when, you and not happy about something and when you're and, most stressed uh, is when it you yeah. are at your most stressed is when these yeah exactly yeah yeah and i think often if you were you know raised in a home where um you were you know weren't allowed to express your feelings or you were told oh it's no big deal just get over it and mm-hmm. um i i think then we tend to 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 bring that in sometimes to how we we parent unless we really uh, make a concerted effort to say i i want to you know do things differently and really explore um just kind of what some what some of those issues in our own own childhoods were and how we want things to look different with our children Mm -hmm. Um, it can be hard it can be hard but it but it's it's worthwhile it's worthwhile to kind of learn and explore those things about yourself so that but yeah so that you can parent differently there are so many resources available Um, this is a opportunity the stress you were feeling at this point is an opportunity for growth, uh, and 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 it it also means learning, and sometimes learning is painful. But there are mm-hmm. so many wonderful books on attachment. There are wonderful books on uh, on on dealing with children with oppositional behavior. Um, there's just lots and lots of of resources online that are out there. So going back to your support group, post and ask for resources that have helped other people, and you will be inundated with um, wonderful resources. And make a point of saying I'm going to pick one and I'm going to kind of keep a parenting book going and I'm going to allocate some time to read and to think on this. It's important. So spend Mm -hmm. the time and, and do that. One of the last things I think we will have time to talk about, but it's such an important one, is sibling issues and the stress of integrating children into a family. I think it takes a lot of parents by surprise. Uh, And what we hear from people is that, well, we talked about the adoption with the children that are already in the home, and and they were, you know, they they wanted it. They were enthusiastic. This was, you know, this was a family decision, and, and now we've gone forward and uh, and they're fighting and 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 my the children who were existing in the home um are either being picked on or are complaining constantly uh and and interestingly enough one of the biggest predictors of an adoption falling apart is sibling issues and parents feeling the need to take the side of and or protect children already in the home so let's talk some about the unexpected stresses that siblings, um, uh, both the new siblings, uh, the new children coming in, as well as the children who are already in the home, what they're experiencing. Lark? I think it's a big, a, a huge shock to so many of us. I want to emphasize that this whole idea of sibling rivalry, sibling fear, sibling anger, whatever children are feeling uh, when a new one comes in the home and just usurps everybody's attention. Mm-hmm. It's 
It's yep. shocking in every family, birth family, adoptive family, foster family, no bones about it. So everyone should feel like, yep, it's it's going to it's going to be there in some way or other. Sometimes the the children I worry about most are the ones who appear to be just fine with everything and try to become the primary caregiver themselves mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for the new child coming in. Not a good idea. But, boy, as a new mom, it might be just, you know, you may think, wow, this is great. My 4-year-old or my 8-year-old or my 12-year-old uh, is going to be surrogate mom. Not a good plan. So it's something to really watch out for, and it takes a lot of energy to ferret that out. What are I going to do? What shall I do instead? Um, I do want to, because I know our time will soon be up, and in this regard I I would like to suggest that one thing families should do is to make note of the things that are of uh, the most discomfort or fear to them when they start parenting and then watch and mark their progress because something that happens as things get better is we, we still see things that are a problem and we forget that we think we're a lot worse before, and now we're making progress. Mm-hmm. So um, a good thing to do is Great to, point. and that can be true with siblings too, to say, yeah, used to be a lot of jealousy. Now they fight once in a while, but gosh, it's still a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it used to be every a minute. Now we're down to just once yep. an hour. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. And that's progress. improvement. <laughs> yes, improvement. Um, Jennifer, yeah. thoughts on integrating uh, children into a family? and uh, reducing the stress on the children already in the family. Yeah, no, and I I just agree with what Lark said as well. I think um, when you see see a child that wants to take on that that caretaker role, that that, um, can can be a concern. And I think, too, um, there's... Always going to be the child that that is is wanting and and needing more attention, and so and for a parent it feels like, you know, what else what else can I do? I've done you know everything that that um, they're asking of me, and they're still they're still, you know, wanting this attention and and why? And, um, and I know I keep going back to it, but it's kind of going back to really um, investigating. What's behind? What's behind that? Why are they feeling insecure? Um, and um, but and I and I definitely think this is a great time too when when family counseling is going to be really helpful, um, so that so that you know the kiddos don't fall into um, those identity and and roles of you know um, what their role is in the family. I guess I should say. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, there are uh, perhaps because this is such an important issue, we have uh, a lot. Creating a family has a lot of resources. You can find them on the creatingafamily dot org. Go to uh, uh, click on adoption resources, and then click on A to Z resource guide. And then there's a whole section on um, it's combining children by birth and adoption but it's equally applicable to uh, uh, combining children who are already in the home. And uh, there are some tips. There are some tried and true things you can do. Um, and one of the, the the key ones is to try to find time every week to have some alone time uh, with each child, whether it be when you're cooking or whether you're washing dishes um, or going to the library and uh, – finding and, and working together uh, with your partner, if you're married and if you're not, um, with whomever is, is helping you, trying to structure, create some structure in your life that will allow you to have some time and allow the children who are both, both the kids who are new to the family as well as the kids who are already in the family um, to express their true feelings. It doesn't, don't make them hide yes. uh, how they're really feeling because they also are reeling. <laughs> with uh, mm-hmm. the addition yes. of of children into the family, so I think it Absolutely. is so important. Yeah. yeah, it's important to let them have an opportunity to to talk about some of their worries, and mm-hmm. you know what what are your worries, and just get it out there and openly talk about it. Yeah, that open or dialogue. Or to play them out, or to draw mm-hmm. them out, mm-hmm. or because mm-hmm. some Good kids point. are not able yet mm-hmm. to um, to voice them, but they feel them. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yes. And to, raise, 
it is a big stressor. And to specifically mm-hmm. raise the issue, especially with school-aged children, sometimes they are embarrassed by the behavior of the new children mm-hmm. and are in, and, and in school or whatever. And they're embarrassed, but they feel disloyal. And, and so many families don't allow them to express their embarrassment because they feel that they should understand. They should understand that this child, you know, came from a hard place or, or, or um, had, you know, was abused and neglected. And so, of course, they don't know how to behave. But it's okay for the child who is the, the sibling to still be embarrassed. Um, mm-hmm. And it's okay to admit that. Uh, so to specifically allow some of the negatives um, that are real um, uh, to come forward. And don't you agree that sometimes mom or dad is embarrassed and is uh, doesn't like mm-hmm. the fact that they're embarrassed, knows that they, quote-unquote, shouldn't be embarrassed, yep. uh, but they so they sometimes jump all over the um, the sibling who expresses the embarrassment. So, you know, it is <laughs> really important point. to allow it to just happen, just come out, talk about it. Let's discuss yeah. this. Let's Let's support each other. Um, yeah. And let's think of some creative ways. Uh, there may be or may not be a way around it, but what are some creative ways? Is it when on the school bus that, that this behavior is bothering you the most? Well, perhaps if we could figure out a way to get someone to drive you guys to school, you know, to try mm-hmm. to come up with some right. problem solving, you're right. modeling mm-hmm. good behavior uh, uh, for all kids. And I guess the the last thing to, to point out is that especially when a, a child is just coming into the family, it is really important for uh, parents to be vigilant and make certain there's a good adult supervision because uh, we've got to, we need to protect both children, um, um, both sets of kids, kids already in the family, as well as the kids coming in. Um, We need to set up uh, supervisions until you understand how children are going to behave. It's important to have Tight supervision. Uh, a good time to use your uh, your helpers, and we were talking about drawing our circle, right. but including people. Well, that's a that's a good time to include uh, include helpers uh, in helping you oversee uh, kids. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much, Jennifer McCallum and uh, Dr. Lark Eshelman, for uh, talking with us today about the unexpected tr- stresses of newly adoptive families. Let me take a moment. Thanks for letting us do that, Don. Creating a family is just fabulous, a fabulous resource. So happy to be part of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me stop for a moment and remind everybody that this show is brought to you by the generous support of our partners who believe in our mission. Some of our wonderful partners include Children's Connection. They're an adoption agency providing services for domestic infant adoption and embryo donation and adoption throughout the U.S. And Adoptions from the Heart. They have helped build over 6,000 families since 1985 through domestic infant adoption. And they work with people all across the United States. Thank you so much for joining us today. To get more information about uh, our guest, uh, Jennifer McCallum, you can go to the website for Buckner, and it is buckner.org. To get more information about Dr. Lark Eshelman, you can go to her website, which is aboutchildtrauma.org. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I will see you next week. I'm here with the Reverend Daniel Hendrickson, president of Creighton University, which was ranked the number one Midwest regional university by U.S. News & World Report for the 15th straight year. Tell us why. Well, Creighton offers an academically rigorous education in arts and sciences, in business, in health professions, and law. And we are so dedicated to the spiritual, personal, and professional growth of each member of the Creighton community. Creighton also continues to be a leader among U.S. Catholic and private institutions for the number of Goldwater scholars. Learn more about all of the university's academic programs at Creighton.edu. You.